This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception, pregnancy, to birth and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who've made it from struggling to wellness and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Thank you for being with us today. Welcome back to Mom in Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In this episode, we're hearing from Ivy Sias, who has graciously offered to share her story and talk to us about how she found healing. We're going to hear a little bit about her experience of pregnancy after loss and the anxiety she experienced and what she went on to experience in the postpartum period with anxiety and depression and also listen for how, you know, medical providers were treating her in different situations and how that might have impacted her and her experience. What I really love about Ivy's story is how she was able to find healing. I think it's so important for us to be hearing different ways that people are able to heal and how they find healing. And sometimes we just don't know what healing is going to look like. Sometimes it just sort of shows up and we figure out a way through. So a little bit about Ivy. She earned her master's of science in mental health counseling from Walden University and became licensed in the state of Louisiana in 2015. In 2017, Ivy founded Ivy Counseling and Wellness Services, a private practice with a focus on assisting people with planting seeds of insight, growing in self-awareness, and making life changes that flourish from the inside out. After her own experience with postpartum depression and anxiety and her struggle to find assistance and support in her community, the focus of her practice shifted to maternal mental health and the treatment of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. A Compton, California native, Ivy has always believed that change happens when people are loud about injustice and when those that have experienced adversity boldly stand in their truth. She's a wife to a loving husband, Joseph, and mother of two amazing children, son Carter, who is four, and daughter, Ryan, who is one. She's a national certified counselor and licensed professional counselor and supervisor within the state of Louisiana. She is passionate about helping underserved populations through therapy, advocacy, and promoting total wellness as a way to heal and grow. Let's hear from Ivy. 
Welcome, Ivy. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored. I think I put a call out a little while ago to have some folks who are willing to share their story and you stepped up and I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I would love to do a couple of things today with you both here, your story and how you coped and healed and got through it. And then also talk a little bit about the work that you're doing now to help perinatal moms and families. So wherever you'd like to start with your story and your experience, we'd love to hear. Okay. Well, I'm a mother of two. Um, With my first child, I went in, I had a pretty easy pregnancy with him. Not any major issues, some nausea, just regular thing. And then I had him in June of 2014. And when he was born, I noticed he was breathing hard. And I asked about it and they told me that some babies just have a hard time adjusting to breathing on their own. So from there, two days later, when we were about to be released from the hospital, it hadn't improved. And they decided to do chest x-rays and they found out that he had pneumonia. So he went to NICU and he was there for 10 days. And from there, you know, NICU was a little bit hard. I don't feel like there was a whole lot of support for us as parents. They kept a lot of information from us. We kind of felt helpless, like things were happening around us, but we weren't being involved in treatment. And so that was frustrating. I went to high risk when he first went to NICU. So I was on bed rest. I didn't see my son for about almost two days. So my husband was back and forth between the two of us, making sure. And I was trying to pump and... I really wanted to breastfeed and things like that. And then he came home. And during that time in our lives, like we were newlyweds. We -hmm. had been married less than a year at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, We had just purchased a home. I had a lot of job security at the time. And, you know, I had some normal baby blues, I think, and a little bit of anxiety, but nothing that was out of the norm for, I think, a new mom. And things were well from there. I went back to work. I kind of took on things and everything was fine from there. And then we decided in 2016 that we were going to try again for a baby. So we planned to get pregnant and we were really excited. And in May of 2016, we found out we were pregnant with our second child. Hmm. And in June of 2016, we found out it wasn't a viable pregnancy and Hmm. I needed a DNC. And so we took that pretty hard. Initially, we said, oh, well, we want to hurry up and try again. Like, we really wanted another baby. We're going to go ahead and try again. Mm -hmm. And then I remember saying to my husband, I don't feel like I'm emotionally ready. Uh But by the time I had told him that, I was already pregnant again. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. So you had a pregnancy loss. And then how soon after, I mean, you were dealing with upset feeling, you know, obviously a lot at that time. And then how quickly... Were you pregnant again? I had a DNC July 1st and I got pregnant again in September. Okay. 2016. Right. So, yeah. So you didn't really have a whole lot of time to process and deal with what had happened. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so I feel like I never could connect during that pregnancy. Mm. I didn't really want to talk about being pregnant. I tried to hide it as long as I could. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do any of the things 
my husband did. He wanted to do gender reveals and my best friends wanted to have another baby shower because we were having a girl mm-hmm. this time. And I just was so disconnected. Like I was forced into all of those things and right. I'm like, but I don't want to, like, yeah. I felt guilty. I felt like I didn't have enough time to process the loss mm-hmm. and to, in my own words, like honor the pregnancy that I lost. Yeah. And I was already celebrating this other baby that was mm-hmm. coming. So it, it kind of, d- it didn't feel right to me. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. And during that pregnancy, I had like a lot of heartburn and different things. I was constantly in pain and uncomfortable. I had this overwhelming feeling of just not wanting to be pregnant mm-hmm. and then feeling guilty for that, of course. Oh, like, sure, yeah. I should be happy. Not everyone can get pregnant again. And those feelings, I constantly worried about the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a really rough time. There was a lot of work stress. I ended up going on leave in, I was due in June. I went on leave in April from work because I just was in so much pain and so uncomfortable and just very sick. And I started crying all the Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. I was constantly crying. That's hard. Just not always able to pinpoint what was making me cry. Just, I just was crying and upset and frustrated and just a lot of those feelings. And then in June of 2017, I delivered my daughter. Mm-hmm. I started having contractions with her 10 days before I delivered her. Oh, um, They kept sending me home. Like, you're not dilated. Go home. 
Oh my gosh. I'm in pain. Yeah, yeah. That's a long time to feel pain. Yeah, it was a long time. And then she was sideways. So I had trouble with pushing her out. Mm -hmm. And I remember my doctor saying so clearly, do you want suction or or forceps? And in the middle of all this, and um, I remember saying, I don't want either of them. And then she said, suction or C-section? And then I said, suction? (laughs) Because of course, I'm like, I don't want a C-section. She was like, your baby's in distress. So we did the suction. Rewind back a little bit to her delivery. Mm-hmm. I had an epidural mm-hmm. and I immediately had an allergic reaction to it, which oh did not gosh. happen with my son. So oh. it was unexpected. <laughs> yeah. I began to itch and I was like, wow. I'm itching. And so they gave me a syringe full of Benadryl. Holy and then it felt like minutes later, are you ready to push? And I'm like, I am barely awake. Right, right, right. Oh <laughs> my goodness. Yes. This is all um, happening pretty quickly at that point. Yes. My husband says that there was maybe an hour or two between, but I was in and out of sleep because of the Benadryl. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, we're kind of progressing. I'm pushing. They had to use the suction. She's out. And then they turn my epidural off and I had extreme shakes and they wanted me to hold her and I'm telling them hey I couldn't feel my arms Mm -hmm. and I'm like don't hand me the baby because I became nauseated during her delivery um Mm -hmm. it was just really intense and then I remember just not wanting to right away hold her right and I don't know if it was just the shakes it was more of like emotionally I'm like look at all that has happened. (laughs) Right. You were saying before that you weren't feeling particularly connected during the pregnancy anyways. Right. Uh, And then all of this stuff happened. I don't know. I guess it sounds like from the interventions that your doctor wanted to do that it was a little, I don't know. You didn't really have time to consider your options to say it mildly. Right. Um, Did you feel forced or what was that like for you? I did. I didn't have time to consider my options. I remember there being a rush of people coming into the room during that time. And I think that scared me even more. And just kind of not feeling like I was in charge. Like, I feel like at some point I lost control of what was going on, what was happening. Right. And then I felt fearful because in my mind at that point, the worst thing is like a C-section. I don't Mm -hmm. want that. Mm -hmm. And so her saying that like, suction or c-section i felt like i have no other choice wow and really short like that like short to the point no or like harsh i don't know yeah it was suction or c-section um when i hesitated for that moment between the forceps and the suction she Mm -hmm. went right to the c-section and then i was just like do what you have to do oh Um, my gosh yeah yeah So my daughter, who was much bigger than my son, he was 6'6", and she was 8'4", at birth. Yeah. So she came out kind of breathing hard, too. And because of my previous experience, they wanted to monitor and NICU. And they weren't giving me any information. They were just kind of keeping me in the dark. I couldn't move around because I had an epidural, so I couldn't get up and go see for myself. Right. And just wanting to know what was going on and being like, oh, they're just monitoring her. 
she was born at 3.33. I didn't see her again until 10 o'clock, almost 10.30 that night. Wow. With no real information? With no real information. And me asking and sending my husband and, you know, visitors coming and saying, well, where's the baby? And I'm like, she's in the nursery and they're not giving me any information. And so finally I was able to walk and I said, like, bring me. I need Mm -hmm. to see. And as I was leaving the room, they were bringing her in. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. I'm not so much. Right. Um, packed into, I don't know, how long was that? Like a day? Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what a just, day. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of stuff in one day. Right. Oh my gosh. So you've been through all of this. You're not feeling particularly connected, but you know for sure you want to see her. What happens after that, after you see her? I see her and I remember this, like, I always say, if you look at the pictures from when I delivered my son, And then look at the pictures from when I delivered her. I look so out of it Mm. with her pictures. His Mm -hmm. pictures, I'm like, oh, new mommy glow. Like, yay, Mm -hmm. I'm so happy. With her, I just look like, oh my God, what just happened to me? Or like, what is going on? Or I look just out of it. And I just remember wanting to like love on her, but like, not wanting to love on her either. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a conflict of emotion. Mm. So she went home on time. All was well. They just were taking precautions with monitoring her. But But you didn't find that out until you saw her. That's right. So So. it was no information. Like, oh, we're going to continue to monitor. We're going to continue to monitor. I'm like, but what is happening? Wrong. Um, Yeah. So we went home and I'm going to say probably pretty immediately I started to feel like it just continued, like the sadness. At first mm-hmm. I, I would pass it off when I was pregnant as, oh, I'm, I'm pregnant. So that's mm-hmm. why I feel emotional or whatever. Mm-hmm. When I brought her home, I just felt like this overwhelming need of like, I need help. Mm-hmm. I need someone to help me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I have it. I don't trust that I have this under control. I need (laughs) help. There were a lot of things going on with my support system at the time. So they were not as available as they were with my son. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was hard. And then I began to like worry constantly. Mm. I had intrusive thoughts constantly. Mm. I was not sleeping. Even when she was sleeping, I was not sleeping. Right. Just, I wasn't eating. Did you not feel hungry or was it not kind of even in your awareness to eat? It wasn't in my awareness. Just kind of worried so much that you were preoccupied. Right. My husband would ask sometimes like, did you eat? And then I would be like, oh, Mm -hmm. I haven't eaten Mm -hmm. today. But then Mm -hmm. I had no desire really to eat. Right. Mm -hmm. I ate because I was breastfeeding. I realized I needed to eat to feed her. Mm Mm-hmm. But other than that, I didn't have a desire. I had a lot of feelings of like just being genuinely overwhelmed, scared. I would have thoughts as it progressed. I would have thoughts of like, I'm doing my family a disservice. I'm not Mm -hmm. taking care of them like I should be. I'm Mm -hmm. not a good wife. I'm not a good mother. They'd be better Mm -hmm. off without me. I would Mm -hmm. think about running away. To help them, of course. I wanted them to do well. Like I had this whole thing in my head that like 
my husband could find a better wife and then she'd be a great stepmom. And then they'd find without me because I'm not doing good. Like something's wrong with me. Did anybody know how you were doing? No. And I realized that I was pretty good at hiding it. You know, I always did what was expected. And my husband would check in. Are you okay? Is all, you know, is everything going well? And I would tell him, I'm fine. I have it. I have it. And one of the things he said to me when we kind of got to the point where I came out and told him what was really going on, he told me, when you said you had it, I believed you. Wow. Yeah. That's a pretty convincing, uh, hiding it from him, I guess, but also kind of, I don't know, did you feel like you were just trying to get by and you, I guess, not hiding it from yourself, but I can imagine wanting to feel like you do have it. Yeah, I had a feeling of just wanting to feel like I did have it under control. I think there was a layer of the fact that I am a therapist being kind of like, you're supposed to be able to figure this out. Like, and you should have it. Like, you Mm -hmm. should be able to get out of whatever this is that you're going through. Get out of it. Right. And I think I was a bit hard on myself with that, that thought, of course. But then I did decide at some point that, um, you know, look, something's wrong. And at my six week checkup, I'm going to tell my doctor, I'm going to talk to her about it. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, I got up that morning, I got dressed and I put on my makeup and everything and got the kids together. And we went in as a family and I told my doctor like, Hey, look, something is going on. I've been really sad. I've been tearful. I'm not really sure. I don't feel like myself. I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm out of control. And she said, you know, it's not depression. It's not postpartum depression because women that have postpartum depression can't even get out of bed. They can't get, take care of themselves or their babies. And (sighs) um, yeah. Yeah. I said, well, I knew that something was still wrong just Mm -hmm. because of my background. But in that moment, I didn't want to argue with her about it. I just said, well, you know, I'm going to have to figure it out because Mm -hmm. she's not going to be the person to help me. Wow. It was a feeling of like, it took everything to go and finally say like, I'm going to do it. And then to have it be shut down. And then I thought, and you know, later when I reflected, I thought about how many women have gone to her or to some other doctor and have had that experience and not had the background, you know, to kind of say, no, no, something is wrong. Right. And then what happens to those women? And so I became concerned for myself and for others. Yeah. I mean, she wasn't entertaining anything that you said. A lot of what she would say was that you have a supporting and loving husband, which is very true. I do. That has nothing to do with what I was going through. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, um, these are, this is like speaking directly to these these myths of what postpartum depression is. And man, when you don't actually know what it is and you just go based off of those, like, you know, the myths or what you think it is, that's what you get. It's so hard to go to a professional hoping for help and then just being discounted in that way. Right, right. <sighs> and then I felt too like, once she made that comment that how well-versed is she in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders? Because you're the front line of communication. You're the first person that these women are going to probably turn to if they need help. And you don't have the knowledge to give them the support they need in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What did you do 
after she kind of discounted you and said, it, it, you don't have this? I think a part of me wanted to believe her. <laughs> sure. So I went home and I kind of just said, like, maybe she's right. Maybe nothing is wrong. And my symptoms got worse. I became angry and resentful. Again, like I said, I thought about running away. I still was not sleeping. Mm-hmm. I started having more intrusive thoughts more frequently, some that were sexual in nature that Mm -hmm. terrified me. I had trouble with my job when I went back. And that, of course, I think contributed to the increase in my symptoms. Yeah. I had a lot more responsibility with helping to care for my relatives that were not well. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the process of trying to figure out what was going on with me, taking care of my new baby, having a three-year-old at the time, Mm -hmm. still I had to take care of other family. Oh my gosh. And yeah, that's a a lot. lot. Uh, So, I mean, it's just a lot after a lot and then there's more. Right. And then there's more (laughs) and you just keeps getting piled on. Yeah. One day I was on Facebook, just kind of, you know, aimlessly scrolling through and I came across a meditation group in my community. And I said, well, maybe that will help. Maybe that will give me what I need. So I went to the meditation group and it was all women and it was so empowering. I felt connected in a way that I hadn't been feeling in a while. And I felt like this was what I needed to do in order to kind of find healing for myself Mm -hmm. and pull myself up while still looking for resources in my community and trying to figure out how to get like treatment that's specific to perinatal mood and anxiety disorders and things like that and kind of hitting brick walls with that. And so I started doing meditation regularly. I found this podcast. This was the way that I broke the ice to my family. And really? Yes. Oh, um, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> to oh, my friends so and cool. my family. I actually had them listen to your story, Dr. Kat. Um, oh my God. Now I'm crying. All right. <laughs> you got me. I told them, I said, I had never felt like, you know, in that moment, I, going through this, I felt so alone and like yeah. no one could ever understand. And when I heard your story, I was like, wait, there's someone out there that oh, gets Oh my it. gosh. Um, oh. And, uh, it, thank you for, oh, for that. Yes. It, it, was, it was a tremendous step in my healing and <sighs> me moving forward and finding the courage to do so because then I didn't feel alone. Oh um, my gosh. Finding these Facebook groups, you know, that support women that are going through perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. That was helpful because in a community where there was not a lot of resources, I was able to find that through social media Mm -hmm. and use that as a tool to help me to get out. And then the place where I do my meditation is a yoga studio. And so they invited me to come to yoga Mm -hmm. and I started doing that and it changed my life. Wow. Oh, so cool. Wow. It's amazing that your kind of gut and intuition set you on this path of healing. Yeah. You just saw something that resonated and it happened to work out, which is awesome. Right. But you were pretty proactive in in trying to find your own healing because it wasn't coming to you. And the people who were supposed to help you supposedly, you know, didn't, right. Didn't help. Yeah. And that was 
you know, I became so determined to get that healing, even though there weren't resources in my area that were readily available to me. And then a part of that was, you know, just being kind of demanding about Mm -hmm. what I needed in order to heal. Yes. Um, Speaking up for myself with my family, with my friends, with my husband, who is very supportive. He likes to work. (laughs) and I would tell him, okay, you can work after your first job and you want to go to the second job. I'm going to need these days. Mm -hmm. And I need set days that I know for sure that I can dedicate to yoga and dedicate to myself and Mm. my own healing and kind of carving out that time and not feeling guilty about it because I needed that. I needed that in that moment. I still need it. I Mm -hmm. still have it. (laughs) Good for you. And just, I found that in my healing process, starting to learn more about what I was going through. Even though, you know, I was a therapist at the time, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders were not my specialty. Right. And so I knew about them, but I didn't know a whole lot. Mm -hmm. I didn't know like I needed to re-educate and kind of get a deeper understanding of what I was going through so that I could also make a difference in the lives of others because Mm. I realized at that moment that I wanted to start a private practice and then I decided that my focus would be perinatal mood and anxiety disorders and maternal mental health. Awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. So that has been a journey. Just in some key points, I began to, through the meditation, I learned to quiet my mind, mm-hmm. which helped with my intrusive thoughts. And then I was able to sleep. Right, right. Uh, finally, <laughs> sleep. Yeah, yeah, it's magic. It is um, magic. And you don't realize how, like, you know, people say you need to sleep, you need to sleep. Mm-hmm. But until you haven't slept for right. quite a while, you don't realize how important, like, oh, you need to sleep. Yeah, right, right, right. A must. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. 
I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. I forced myself to eat, and at first it was just to eat what I Mm -hmm. felt. And then I forced myself to eat healthy. So I needed to do that. Exercise, like I said, yoga, yoga, yoga all the time. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. (laughs) Um, It was And then the yoga studio that I attend, that I go to, the owner is a counseling student. Mm -hmm. So she and I connected and that became a professional resource Mm -hmm. that I can connect others to. That's awesome. Help in my community. So now you're in private practice helping other moms. I am. Amazing. I um, I, um, founded Ivy Counseling and Wellness Services. And, you know, I am a big spokesperson for, you know, total wellness. You can't be well if you're only focused on one thing, one area. You have to look at your overall health, your overall physical and mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. You Mm -hmm. need to look into all those things and making sure that those things are in place so that you can be the best you that you can be. Yeah. Wow. So this is such an inspiring story that you have, just all that you went through and how you found healing. And I'm deeply honored to be a part of your journey. And so just in awe of how you got through this, it takes an incredible amount of strength to recognize that something's not right and to seek help and to seek healing. And you did all that and you got, you know, you made your way through. Right. I think, you know, I've always been um, big on using, you know, your struggles as stepping stones to make a change when you see that there is a need in some way. And I feel like almost not having the resources pushed me into becoming a resource. (laughs) Yes, yes. So just the non-judgmental sharing piece was important. I did share about my postpartum depression and anxiety with my meditation group and was surrounded with support. And Mm. I think that helped just finding someone that, or finding people that will listen to you and kind of let you be whatever you need to be in that moment. Right. Um, There were no expectations. And I think that that was important too in my healing. Absolutely. And then the support of family, friends, like I said, social media mm-hmm. was a big thing. That's amazing. You've gotten through the hardest parts and found recovery and found healing and whatnot. Now you're helping other people. You mentioned the name of your practice, but can you tell us a little bit more about what you do just in your practice and then in your community to help mothers and families? Yes. So my focus has been perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And I focus a lot on total wellness. So connecting my clients to other things in the community that could be beneficial for them, such as like yoga, meditation, other exercise uh, groups, um, nutritionists, just making sure that they know what resources are available to them within the community. Pushing, of course, for always for self-care, giving like to empower others to, you know, understand that you 
you really have to take care of yourself in order to take care of others. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that, you know, I've had people say, you know, oh, I'm going to put my counseling on hold because I need to take care of so-and-so. And then <laughs> I'm like, but how are you going to effectively do that if you're not totally well? And so just getting people to be on board with making sure they're taking care of themselves first, putting on mm-hmm. their oxygen mask first before they help others. A big thing, a big part of what I do is advocacy and trying to connect hospitals. So one of the things that have come full circle for me is that I did go back to my doctor and I did talk to her, um, my OB. Great. And, oh, uh, that's amazing. Yes. I did express to her, you know, some of the things that I felt like she kind of missed the mark and some things that she could do. And she was so on board hmm. with providing screenings for her clients going how, forward. How- Yes. And connecting me with her practice of other OBs and just getting them knowledgeable on some of the things that they could be doing with their patients and helping to kind of provide those resources and facilitate, you know, them getting connected. One of the areas I've also connected with like pediatricians in the area Mm -hmm. to get them on board because Moms might not go to the doctor for themselves, but they are probably going to take their kids Mm -hmm. for their checkups. And sometimes the pediatricians see the mom and the mom is tired and she looks like she might need resources and she may even be saying how overwhelmed she is. And then they have nowhere to send them or they don't even know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so getting connected with pediatricians in the area, another resource that this was actually something my husband brought up, he recommended daycares. I said, that is really something that I hadn't thought of, but I'm going to go and see about. And so that's on my agenda is to reach out to local daycares because they see those new moms and dads and they see what goes on and they may not have resources or even know that they should be referring them somewhere or helping them out in that area. So just getting the word out about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders and maternal mental health and just being an advocate overall, trying to get that information as far and wide as I can within my community and beyond. Yeah. And now here too, spreading that message here as well. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, there's no way to know once you set something like that into place and you, it's so great that you went back to your OB and that she was receptive and changed her practice what she's doing there and all the pediatricians and whoever else you've touched, you're affecting the lives of so many people in such a positive way that they're going to get the help and get a chance to get the help in a way that maybe you didn't when you needed it. That's like that ripple effect, butterfly effect that you have is so powerful. It's really, really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I'm really excited about the things that are going to kind of happen in this community. I think also the resources that are available aren't connected to each other. Right. Um, And just connecting those resources. I found out later that there are some support groups in the area (laughs) and it's something that I didn't know. And so just getting those resources connected to other therapists and getting those resources connected to the hospitals and the daycares and Mm -hmm. the physician's offices and things like that so that people have kind of a resource list to utilize when they see a mom that needs the help. Right. Yeah. I mean, your community is so lucky to have you. And I mean, 
again, there's no way to know how you're affecting people's lives, but just the fact that you're able to see so clearly that all of these people need to be talking to each other, it makes such a difference in, in the lives of people. That people are getting resources that they didn't even know about now. Right. Yeah. And I mean, all of this, you know, passion comes from pain. I can identify with you and I hear you there. I'm so grateful. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. And I'd love for you, if you have anything that you'd like to say to moms or families who are just learning about this themselves and hear your story and identify with what's going on for you, what you'd like for them to know. First, you're not alone. There are communities, even if it's not directly in your community, there are social media connections that you could make that could give you some support until you can find resources uh, face-to-face and locally. Don't be afraid to speak up. If the first, if you know something's wrong, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, trust your instinct, trust that something is going on and you need help. If you feel that way, don't hesitate. Don't stop at the first person that tells you no because they may not be knowledgeable in that area and just continue to press on, look for resources and share your story. There's so much power in listening to a mom who has gone through perinatal mood and anxiety disorder and has found healing. You can be that for someone else once you reach that point. So don't be afraid to share your story. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Yes. Yes. I'm going to double, triple down on all of that. Oh, that's such good advice. Oh, thank you, Ivy, for sharing your story and your professional experience and your heart here. I just know that so many people are going to hear what you've said and feel like they're resonating and that they feel heard as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Ivy, for coming on and sharing your story. It is so powerful. And I know that so many people will benefit from hearing this and also just knowing that they're not alone. There's so many facets to your story that I'm just sure a lot of people can identify with. If you guys would like to get connected with Ivy, please check her out at her Facebook page, Ivy Counseling and Wellness Services, or on Instagram, Ivy Counseling and Wellness. If you guys would like to get connected with us, We are part of the podcasting network, Parenting On Demand, or you can find us at momandmind.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or anywhere that podcasts are listened to. Thanks so much for being with us. Until next time. By joining us today, you are part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. You can feel better. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist, and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival, 
and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.